Welcome to Constructed Curiosity, a podcast that aims to expand your horizons and promote personal growth by exploring various topics and having conversations with extraordinary people. I'm your host, Casey Sprague. Thank you for joining me, and let's start the show. Hello, and thank you for joining me on Constructive Curiosity today. So this is an episode I'm really excited about. We actually have been trying to record this one for over a month, and just between illness and other circumstances, it's taken us a while to get this on the books. But my guest today is Joe Golf. So she is a wife, mother, coach, teacher, a budding author, and has a really awesome blog called Embracing My Brave. And I hope you guys enjoy listening to this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. So check out Constructive Curiosity on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and all your major podcast outlets. With no further ado, let's get to the show. All right, so today I'm joined by Joe Golf. Joe, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing, Casey? You know, it's been wonderful. How are the holidays? Uh, good and not as stressful as I thought that they would be, which was nice. <laughs> yeah, so tell us a little bit about how your Christmas went. Uh, so we actually got to spend some Christmas uh, time with my family in Kentucky, which we haven't done for at least not on Christmas Day for about six years. Um, so we got to do Christmas here with my wife's side of the family. And then we drove to Kentucky to spend time there. And it was a lot of fun. It's something that you don't really think about uh, when you don't do it very often is that, um, you know, Christmas Day, nobody wants to drive or travel, but uh, spending some really good family time. It was really good for the soul, for sure. That's awesome. So for those of you who don't know Joe, she is an awesome person. She has a really interesting life journey that we're going to get into here. So she's a blogger, wife, mother, Marine, coach. I mean, just does all kinds of wonderful, awesome things. And teacher, can't leave that one out because that's no, <laughs> another impressive thing to put on the resume. But Joe, where would you like us to start here? We can start at the beginning of any portion of your journey you'd like to. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, wherever wherever is great. We can start at the beginning. That sounds good. At the beginning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once upon a time. No, just kidding. <laughs> so what was your early life like? Oh, man. I am the oldest of four girls. So I have three younger siblings. Grew up in Florence, Kentucky. And when people think about Florence, they think about that water tower we have that says Florence, oh, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're like, oh, you must be real country. And I'm like, actually, it's more of a city than anything else. It's pretty colossal at that. But um, but I'll take it. I'm from Kentucky. And sometimes I have a little twang that comes out. But um, we play. I played sports. My sisters played sports. And I never really understood how my parents did it all with four kids. Um, but they did. It uh, grew up Southern Baptist. Went to church in uh, a local church in town. Um, went to Boone County High School. We graduated together, which seems like forever ago. Oh gosh! I mean, I start. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, and I played basketball. It was basketball. I think was like kind of what took me through a lot of things. Um, I struggled, and not a lot of people knew that I struggled with um, being gay and. And I knew that from a young age, but I didn't really talk about any of that. Um, and, you know, my home life wasn't always perfect, but I mean, whose is? And there was some times where it was really difficult. Uh, and basketball was like that escape that I got to have. Um, and the people that I met along the way, uh, because the basketball world is a small world, uh, it was really, it's definitely what took me to where I'm at right now even though I'm not playing basketball, I coach it. Uh, but it's always been something that's been an integral part of my life. So what, at what stage did it really start to come out and be more uncomfortable with your sexuality? Like what that, what did you struggle with it? Um, I'd say probably midway through high school. Um, you know, my best friend is gay. We've been friends for, oh gosh, 25 years. Um, and she was out, you know, to all of our close friends and her family and, and, you know, and I was not a very nice person during that time because I struggled with my own stuff. Um, and, you know, I recognize that now we actually laugh about it now. Um, but I think that's when I really 
was like, well, why can't I be myself? And why do I have to think that there's something wrong with me? Um, and it wasn't until I went to college where I kind of was away from the world, the only world that I knew. Um, because all I knew was what was in Florence. And yeah, I traveled for basketball and we went to different places. But, you know, I really didn't go outside of that if it wasn't for basketball. Um, and so I, when I went to college and I kind of really learned more about the world and how to really look at myself, I realized that I definitely was hiding part of myself. And when I came out, I think it was the most freeing thing. And I had friends actually tell me like, no, don't come out. Don't tell your parents. Don't tell people until you have like a serious relationship, you know, and this is 2007, 2008. So it's not like it was a long time ago. I mean, it is if I think about it, but you know, it's not like it was in the eighties, you know what I mean? So, so they're like, you know, you, you know, tell, don't tell anyone until you know, for sure. And it's like, I've known for a really long time. I've just never really knew how to verbalize it or how to just live authentically until I was away from everything and everybody where I could just really focus on myself. And I came out to my parents and they were okay at first. My dad took it harder than everybody else. And, but, you know, and we had our ups and downs through that. Um, but, you know, he was there when I got married and, you know, has supported me and loved my wife and my daughter just as if, you know, cause I didn't carry my daughter. Um, my wife did. And, uh, and so loved her just as if I was her, um, biological mom, you know? So, um, cause she's mine, even though I didn't carry her, but it's always hard when, you know, when you don't feel that first and it wasn't always a supportive thing. Um, it's, one of those things where when you know more or you know better, you do better. And that takes a little bit of time with some people. Uh, it definitely took time for some people in my family. Um, but I, when I came out, there was like no turning back for me. It was the most freeing thing. Like I was afraid. Um, and even when there was like hard times with my family, it was the most liberating thing for me to just say like, this is who I am. And I've really tried to hide who I was for a long time. And I was tired of doing that because I really felt like I wasn't living. Um, and it's hard for me to be authentic with other people if I'm not being authentic with myself. And so I just did it. And I've never really looked back since then. No, that's awesome. And it doesn't seem like it's been that long ago in the grand scheme of things. So it does for us because that's just major life milestones. Yeah. Right. But really in the last, what is it, 15, 16 years, how much things have changed and thinking back to when we were really young, that was not a, a topic that was brought up very much. It wasn't something mm -hmm. that you thought about. It was almost, you know, then the closet was really like a, a thing. You thought they're just in their own group. You know, you don't interact. And that's a terrible way of thinking. It's very yeah. narrow-minded. And so I, I feel like our generation has hopefully overcome that for the most part. And our kids will not have to deal with any of that because it's people are people. You know, you yeah. When people tell you, well, make sure you're sure. I don't think that's something you're unsure about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I might have been unsure for a little while just because I didn't understand how I was feeling, you know. Yeah. Um, but it was a, but you're right. I mean, it's not something that you just wake up and you're like, well, I'm going to do this today. It's something that I sat with for a long time. I think I, since I was in seventh grade, I had recognized it, but I've never, I never really gave it life or, talked about it or did anything until I was on my own 18 years old could make my own decisions for the most part even if they weren't the best decisions <laughs> you know so well, it's, it's a growing phase though I mean that's yeah. what you, you found what you needed to do to get to where you wanted to be and even if you take some missteps we all do we all have things we look back and like probably should have done that but <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> It's just part of that wonderful growing up period. And, you know, that, that's awesome. I'm glad that, you know, your family was supportive. It may have been a struggle at times, but I know a lot of people, they're not supported and they don't yeah. get the, you know, and they get treated a different way. And I mean, I've even had people ask me, well, what if one of your kids ends up being gay? Why would that bother me? I yeah. don't understand. Yeah. I don't know why it would ever bother somebody. It's your child. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, 
that's what's hard for me now as a parent where I'm like, how could you ever, for any reason, just not accept your child for who they are? Um, when, you know, I talk about mental health with kids all the time. I've started a couple clubs at the high school when I was an instructional assistant there and now at the middle school where I teach. Um, because mental health with young kids, like we didn't even talk about mental health when we were in school. And that was not, I mean, it was the early 2000s. So, you know, even now in 2022, it, mental health is not something that is easy for people to talk about. But, you know, I feel like when I think about my own things, if I had mental health conversations, you know, I probably would have been able to cope with certain things uh, a little bit better. Um, but it wasn't until I was an adult and went to college and learned about other people and their experiences that I was like, you know, we really don't talk about this enough. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, I was fortunate enough that my family really turned like did a 180. Um, my mom was always supportive and was, she said, you know, I just worry about what people will think about you. And, you know, it's something I struggle with what people think, but, um, I said, you know, I, I struggled with that for a long time and I really don't care anymore. Like, I think it, I deserve to be happy and to be able to live authentically, just like everybody else. And, you know, I'm going to do that. And if people don't like who I am or how I live my life or what I do, then they're not my people. Uh, yeah. and it took me a long time to really say like those words, like if they're not for me, you're against me. <laughs> so. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to experience both ends where the not supportive, the not, um, the scary, the darkness, like all of that. I got to experience that, but I also got to experience some growth both for myself and for my family. And I really wouldn't have it any other way. And like, sure. Could I go without the pain and the being distraught and being sad? Sure. But I think that that's kind of what made, made us and, and, puts us where we're at so we can look back and say like, yeah, you know, we didn't know and we work together and we, you know, we have a better relationship for it. So I am happy about that. So one thing I want to go back to real quickly, you talked about not teaching mental health coping skills and different things in schools. That's something I'm very, I'm very passionate about emotional intelligence and resilience yeah. training. I don't know why we're not giving kids the opportunity to learn those. I mean, if you understood why your emotions are, how you can cope with them, how they affect others, how to read how others' emotions are affecting them, and know how to bounce back from adversity. I think that's more important than some of the classes they're learning. I agree. I think I've said this to my wife before, where I feel like high school and middle school, like we learn a lot of things, but don't really learn about life. Um, we learn about life in this bubble and, um, I went to school for psychology. I have had a lot of pain and disappointment, just like I'm sure other people have. But I really wanted to do something with that. Um, I wanted to feel like me going through things had a purpose. And talking about mental health is super important. And when I learned about how serious mental health is for young people, uh, one in every five young kids. So in a class of 30 kids, there's six kids that in a year's time will experience a mental health condition um, or mental health symptoms. And, you know, 50% of those kids will, won't get help um, and may not get help for an average of like 10 years. Um, and it's kind of like, I t tell my kids, it's kind of like a, a broken arm. You know, if you broke something, you know, you're going to go and get it fixed. You're not just going to ignore it. Why is it that we ignore what's going on with our health mentally and emotionally? I mean, it, I think the thing with mental health is, is the fear factor of it. Um, it's definitely, it's that sitting in your vulnerability. It's the sitting in the uncomfortable. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes to feel through things that are hard. And the people who have felt through it and gone through it, once they've done it, it's harder because you're like, I already did this. You know, it's like one of those things where, you know, um, you know, like what the things that I struggle with, it's like, I have been doing this for a long time, but once you get and you learn about the things that work for you, their coping skills, like it's easier to get through them, even if it's something that you struggle with. Uh, but kids don't know anything about that because we, there are parents or people 
that say talking about mental health causes mental health or talking about suicide makes someone want to, you know, uh, commit suicide and so on. So for me, it's an education thing. And I think a lot of things in the world are, is if you don't know any better, um, then of course it's going to be a, you know, a scary thing and something that you can be afraid to talk about because you think that it's that stigmatism, like that stigma where it's, Oh yeah, we're not going to talk about the hard things. And if we just push it way down deep and we don't acknowledge it, it'll go away. But eventually it comes back and with a vengeance. Oh, definitely. And I mean, from the veteran angle, I think we can both see that too. Or, I mean, I know there's a huge, I tried to, as a commander, I tried to teach emotional intelligence a few different times. And I had, even though I was a pilot, I had some infantry guys mixed into the units and they're like, that's wussy crap is basically what they'd say. Like, yeah. That doesn't work for us. We don't deal with that. No, I'm pretty sure you all need it more than anybody when you're out there literally getting shot at. Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, even, I mean, for men, I mean, the, you know, youth is at a high risk, but men are at the highest risk, especially like in their middle age um, for suicide and mental health conditions. Um, because like you said, you know, men are taught it's wussy crap. <laughs> You know, not to cry, not to talk about your emotions, not to be soft. Um, but I think that on the flip side and the things that we know, we know is that, you know, when we talk about our emotions, it's actually really courageous and strong, um, brave, because you're letting someone um, see a part of you that is pretty hidden from the rest of the world and that you are actually trusting them enough to say, like, hey, like, I trust you to be like supportive and I'm going to talk to you about some of my struggles. Um, so that's definitely, it's definitely something that we can do better at as a society. And especially in schools, um, middle school, I tell my kids all the time is the hardest time for most of them in their entire school career because they're going through puberty, their body is changing, their voice is gonna change, at least for the boys, you know, and some girls are gonna be taller than you, some boys are gonna be really tiny. And, you know, there's just so many things that they navigate, new social groups that, you know, and bullying is really prevalent. Um, and I tell you at this age, social media is the worst. I mean, I feel like I use social media you know, as an adult, we use it appropriately because we just know better. But kids are like, oh, this is how people like me and people can see me. But really, it's a facade that or something that's used to kind of portray something that's not realistic. Yeah, it's a, it's ter it's a terrifying thought for me as a parent with the social media. Yeah. And then the, thing, the hindsight you get as an adult is that that's probably the only time in your life that you're really in such a small, confined space and you really can't leave. Like, you know, you're stuck yeah. with these people. Yeah. Like, well, I don't think either one of us really moved that much growing up. I mean, I went to the same elementary school, middle school, high school. I hadn't been with some of these people for 12 years. And yeah. it's just, it's hard if you don't fit into every group or, you know, this group or that group. You don't realize that once you get out of that stage, you can pick your people. Right. And it's just like a, such a fun experience. Yeah. You don't have to, you don't have to be this um, person that you thought you had to be this entire time. Exactly. Um, which is pretty, you're right. It is pretty freeing and pretty liberating for sure. The one curiosity I have is how did you end up a Marine? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, my dad was a Marine. Um, I've had family in the Marines, um, uncles, grandparents. Um, honestly, being joined the Marine Corps saved my life. Um, it was right after I left the college that I was at. Uh, because my scholarship was taken away because of my sexuality, um, which, you know, I still, still burns me up, but everything Sorry. happens, uh, have everything happens for a reason. So I just kind of look at it like that. Um, but I was doing a lot of really dumb things, partying too much, bouncing from job to job, never really had a stable place to stay. Um, and I wasn't really in a good place. And I just knew I needed something to kind of jumpstart me back into what I needed to do um, and give me the structure that I needed. Um, and I knew that the military was something that would help me with that. And I wouldn't go anywhere else. 
um, except the Marines. And that's because it's just a long lineage of people that I know that have been in the Marines. And, um, you know, I respect every single branch and I am so, you know, glad that we share that. Um, but I chose the Marine because I knew that, um, I needed that kind of like kick in the butt, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, um, but that's, that's where I ended up. And, um, I did. It saved my life. I tell my wife all the time that had I not joined the Marine Corps, I don't know that I would be here um, or be as successful as I am because it really changed the trajectory of my future. So what did you end up doing in the Marine? Um, I was a postal clerk and I was also in the SOS um, uh, like admin and legal admin and all that. So I done um, basic admin stuff while in the Marine Corps. And, you know, I was determined or I was, I volunteered, which my wife wasn't really happy about. Um, I volunteered to be deployed just because um, I struggled a lot with my command um, and just some of the leadership I didn't really agree with, um, but I was also young and dumb and did dumb stuff, uh, still trying to find my footing. Um, and I was supposed to be deployed and then I ended up getting hurt and then, uh, I couldn't be deployed anymore. And that's around the time that my wife and I met, um, shortly before that with basketball, cause I actually played basketball when I was in the Marines. Um, played for the all Marine women's team and then was the only Marine at that time or during the season that I was in, um, the only Marine at that time to be selected for the all armed forces team. Um, yeah, I mean, I did everything, I did everything, um, that I guess military people do. And then I got to do some temporary, like temporary duties, like the all Marine women's team, which was really neat. I met some really awesome people. Um, and that's actually how my wife and I, um, like reconnected was through basketball because we knew each other. And then, um, we had a mutual friend who was at the basketball, was on the basketball team with me. And she actually was the one that ended up marrying us when we got married, which was pretty cool. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's something, I mean, that's, I didn't even realize that, you know, they had that much athletics there. I know I've heard of some of like the all army teams during my time, but that's pretty cool. You actually have to play on the all armed forces basketball team. Yeah. Um, I played with the Navy and Coast Guard, um, because they were the one that won like the all armed forces tournament with all of us. Um, but I met a lot of really amazing women and it really is cool to kind of see the different dynamics because, and the army, like they have like a basketball season where, um, and I think the Navy has something like that, but we, the Marines, like we go and we go to play like pickup games at, you know, the gym or, you know, at the outside basketball courts. Um, and so it was pretty, it, you could definitely see the difference in people who get to play a lot or have that opportunity as a duty, as opposed to who marines we didn't have that it's just a, an additional thing that our command has to say yes or no to and i'm sure other commands have to as well but it was neat um it was a very honorable and like fun experience i met a lot of really awesome women um who do a lot of amazing things for their country like amazing things which is was pretty cool yeah, that's pretty awesome so when you got out of the marines what'd you do i went back to school um i well before I went back to school, my wife and I, we weren't married yet, but we were pregnant. My wife was pregnant with our daughter. Um, she had got out of the Marines in um, 2012. I got out of the Marines in 2013. Um, and my daughter was born October 2013. Um, and so I was. we were parents, new parents. Uh, my wife actually started law school in 2015. I went back to school in 2015. Um, and she finished law school and then I finished, uh, she finished law school January of 2019. And then I finished December of 2018. I finished my degree. So we were pretty busy, uh, yeah, so with our, <laughs> with our education. And 
Um, it was really an eye-opening experience as a college student. Um, and I know that parents are students all of the time. Um, when I went to school, it was like, I, I went to IEPY, so it, uh, which is the Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis. Um, and it's one of those schools where you have a lot of commuters, people come from everywhere. Some kids live on campus, some people don't. Um, but it was neat how a lot of the professors, uh, and this was 2015, so understood that if you're a parent and you have to kind of bring your kids to class sometimes, that they were always willing to let you do that so that you could get your education. Um, I only had a couple times where that there I ran into a professor that was not really keen on it, but also didn't keep me from coming to class if that was the only reason why I couldn't come to class because I didn't have childcare. Um, because my wife and I really tried um, not to do daycare, but also daycare is a boatload of money and shouldn't be oh, as, yeah. as expensive <laughs> as it is. Uh, it's like a more, it's like a mortgage payment, um, mm -hmm. which is insane, but we were really lucky in being able to do that. So, um, she did. She came to call, um, class with us. And it's funny because my wife did uh, her law school um, in Michigan. So she drove on the weekends three hours away to Michigan. Um, and my daughter, like when I would be working, she would go with her to law classes. And it's funny because her professors and um, classmates were like, oh, you know, Avery gets her honorary law degree because she was there a lot. Um <laughs> So we just managed that, but that's what we did. What I did um, after getting out of the Marine Corps was finishing my education because I knew that I that's what I wanted to do. Um, and it, that that post secondary thing, it took me. I I think I made a post. It took me eleven years, and I say eleven years, even though in between there I wasn't really in school. But it took me that long to just be like, I'm gonna finish my degree. And when I did, it's like. You know, that's the one thing. It didn't matter how long it took me or to realize that I needed to, you know, finish my education, that that's the one thing that no one will ever be able to take away from me, um, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, all that hard work pays off, right? Y yeah, for sure. And then it led you to where you are today teaching, right? It did. Um, I actually started off uh, with my, so I got my psychology degree. And I actually started working um, with the National Alliance on Mental Illness um, as their like youth mental health um, coordinator. Uh, and I would go and we would, I'd use the presentation called uh, Ending the Silence um, in middle schools. Uh, and it was a pretty, and it was like a pilot program. So it was nice because I actually got to help jumpstart that uh, in central Indiana. Um, and at the end of that time, I had spoken in schools and I've spoke to over 1500 kids about mental health in middle school and high school. Um, and a lot of kids, cause I would have like this, uh, box at the end where if they feel like they needed to talk to somebody that they could go and talk to someone anonymously, like they would just say, put their name, I need to talk to someone and put it in a box and no one would know. And the counselor would call them when they could. Um, and a lot of kids really um, learned how to kind of talk about some of the things that they were going through, which was really awesome. Um, but after that, I knew just being in schools and just kind of seeing, and I was in there for a 30 minute presentation, but just wanting kid wanting or seeing kids like want to know more and to learn like really drove me into education i started off as an instructional assistant i was an instructional assistant for three years um no for two years and then i started a teaching like a transition to teaching program and i started teaching in 2021 uh 2020 Fall of 2020. What subjects do you end up teaching? Um, so I actually have two licenses. Uh, one is in social studies and history, and the other is special education. As of now, I am a special education teacher, and I absolutely love it. It was not my first choice, 
Uh, obviously, I wanted to go. I wanted to talk about history. I love history. Um, and I love English. So I thought that maybe one day I'd be in, like do something with both of that. But uh, one of the um, administrators asked me as I was getting my license for my social studies if I wanted to be a special education teacher or even had given that any thought because as an instructional assistant, I supported students with IEPs or individual education plans. Um, and I told her, I said, you know, I said, I haven't really given it much thought, but I will. And she told me if you do and you start taking classes for special education, which I was, but I didn't really make that known to everybody. Uh, because like I said, I was trying to be a general education teacher with special education background as far as knowledge. Because I feel like a lot of general education teachers don't have enough knowledge about special education and how to support students in that in that way. And I wanted to be able to do that. But now I'm a special education teacher and I kind of on the flip support special education students and general education students um, in the classroom, which is really, really awesome. Yeah, it takes a big heart to do that job. A lot of patience for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my um, one sister does that. She says she's been bit, spit on, swung at, but she does elementary level. So hopefully it's not quite as brutal at middle school, but I don't know. I would say sixth grade is still pretty, pretty elementary. Um, I have been hit and kicked and punched and spit on and hair pulled and choked. <laughs> so, I mean, I've had a lot of things happen, um, but as a special education teacher, we always say behavior is communication um, and that applies in everything and every facet of life and um, trying to understand where that behavior is coming from. So that way you can get to the root of it instead of being punitive in the sense like, yes, there's consequences because you shouldn't put your hands on people or, they mean things or be disrespectful. But when you get to the bottom of what's going on, you can actually help change the behavior as opposed to just punishing it. And, you know, you can provide positive reinforcement for students. So that way the behavior can change instead of them being pulled from the classroom or from school, even because of the consequences that they have. And uh, that's awesome that you have the ability to really shape someone's experience and how they end up viewing life and learning lessons. So it's, it, social education is just such a critical aspect because you never know what those kids are getting at home either. No. And I think that I was really naive to that because I had, um, you know, we talk about kids that come from hard places a lot and, you know, that haven't really learned a lot of, social skills or executive functioning skills or just skills period life skills um and you don't really think about what that does to their ability to learn because they're not in a mode where they feel safe they're in survival mode they're in you know they're fighting for their life every day so they're not thinking about what they have to learn in the classroom when you're standing up there trying to teach them math or science or social studies and so on. They are thinking about when I leave here, am I going to have food? Is Am I going to get hit? You know, what's going to happen at home? Like those kids that come from those hard places are in a, you know, they're, they're in survival mode. They're not, they're, their first priority in life is not to learn or be educated it's to live yeah that's just it's sad but you know the, luckily there's wonderful people like you that are out there helping them out and providing the love and support that they don't get at home well i appreciate that um i am very lucky to work where i do and i definitely have my frustrations as a teacher um like many others but at the end of the day the things that remind me of why I went into teaching and why I became a teacher was, you know, seeing kids, you know, come to school and talk about their, their dogs or, Hey, Mrs. Goff, like I finally got that long division problem, you know? Um, and they get excited about little things or even just 
being able to build something and share it and take it home and be excited about those things or um, them. You don't think about kids listening to what adults say. Um, And I mean, they do even the things that you don't want them to hear. Um, (laughs) And I had kids. uh, I actually have a colleague who was ready to walk out because it has been difficult in teaching, you know, um, since the pandemic, I mean, it's been difficult for a long time, but the pandemic really changed things. I think for the better, uh, in the sense that we've learned how to teach kids that aren't in the classroom, um, and to do it, to use multiple ways and kind of use that universal design where we can reach more kids. Um, but from an emotional standpoint, it's been difficult both for kids and adults. And I had a colleague who was ready to say, you know, after this year, after all this time teaching, you know, I think I'm, I think emotionally tapped out, you know, and at Christmas time, they said, uh, you know, this is why I do what I do because kids, and it's not about gifts or, you know, getting teacher gifts. It's just about how excited it is for those kids to say, Hey, I remember you saying that you liked this this squirrel or you love squirrels. And I made you this because, you know, you are my favorite teacher or you've helped me so much. And so like just hearing their perspective on their own education, um, that's really why teachers do what they do and go above and beyond is because the kids, the these kids need us. Um, but they also are really good about listening and saying like, Hey, like I hear you and you also matter even in their own little ways, which I, you know, it's something when I, when I, when she said that to me, I was like, you know, I was like, that is why we do what we do because we just love really hard and, and want these kids to feel that love and support that they can do anything because a lot of them don't have that. And so just having kids return it without thinking that that's what's going to happen or that expectation, it's just really rewarding. No, I can imagine. I mean, not to, I haven't got to teach a large groups of kids, but, you know, being a leader at any level, if you're a true leader, you love those you lead. You want to see them succeed. You want to see them grow. And yeah, getting that, the stuff that you don't expect, you know, the thank yous or, you know, the, you know, when you get mentioned on something and it just makes you feel good. It's like, okay, I did make an impact. So yeah. that's awesome that you get to make an impact on the kids. And I think we are going to transition a little bit here to talk about your blog. <laughs> oh, embracing my brave. Um, so I started it in 2018, which is when I finished my degree, my psychology degree. Uh, and I did it because, um, like I've said before, I don't really think I'm that interesting, but I feel like I have a story to tell that people can relate to. And it was started off as something I wanted to write about and talk about. Um, but it's kind of become more than that, where I share more, not just about my story, but about my family's journey and story, because we evolve all the time. And I think that, you know, starting my blog, it was like, you know, I knew that I've been through some stuff and I know that there are people that go through it that don't really have that support. So sharing that so they wouldn't feel very alone or so alone um, and being vulnerable uh, because it's difficult and sitting in that uncomfortable feeling. Um, but then life gets the best of you and I get writer's block and then I didn't write as much. So, um, I started doing reels and, um, posting different pictures I would make on Canva. Um, but just about our experiences. I mean, my family's pretty spontaneous and sometimes people are like, I don't really know how you guys do that. And it's like, we don't really know how we do it either. We just do it because we feel like it, because we only have one life to live. And it's not about all the things that we get to take with us when we're gone. You know, it's about all the things and the memories that we leave behind. Um, And embracing my brave is just being able to share our story so that people can relate a little bit. Um, 
whether you're a same-sex couple or not, um, single mom, single dad, grandparent, aunt, uncle, like it's really just about being able to say like, I have a story and I want to share it because I think other people can relate to it. That's true. And I think as much as you're modest and say you're not interesting, I think you're very interesting. And so is your, so is embracing my brand. So where can people follow you to watch all those as updates come out? Um, I, I don't, I, let me see. I mean, I, you mean restate your question because I, <laughs> so like, you, would you prefer like Facebook, Instagram on your website? Oh, where, man, uh, honestly, I am not good with social media as much <laughs> as it may seem like I am. <laughs> um, but I have two, I have Instagram. I actually tried Twitter once. Um, it's really confusing. And so I'm not doing it anymore. Um, but Instagram and Facebook um, is where, and I try to keep it different, but most of the time I post the same thing on both pages just because some people have Facebook and some people don't. Some people have Instagram, some people don't. Um, so I may go against all the social media gurus that say post different things all the time so that your followers can have different content and don't get bored. So hopefully nobody gets bored. Um, I try to keep it pretty similar um, on both pages, but those are the two. So Instagram, it's just at embracing my brave and Facebook is at embracing my brave. It's real simple. Oh, that's a good follow though. So I recommend it to everyone. I said, I always enjoy the content that you put out there. I appreciate that. It's definitely growing. Um, I've had more recently. And like I said, it's because I'm learning how to use it a little bit better. Um, in the world of TikTok and Snapchats and videos and, and all that, it's just, you know, learning and adjusting to what people would rather see. Um, I know that there are going to be some times where I will, will write more. Um, but I just think pictures and music um, and just sharing my experiences through that with my family is where people have really enjoyed it recently. Yeah, so you're finding your little niche market, though. Yeah. That's always good. So something we talked about, I mean, this has probably been a couple of years ago. How's it going with your book? Are you still looking to write a book? I am. Um, I don't really know how to go about it. I've written a couple things. Um, I was asked to be part of uh, a book where women, a bunch of different authors kind of wrote in there and I was scared, so I didn't do it. Um, but I think probably in the next year or so, I'll be able to write something that is worth picking up off the bookshelf. Um, I don't want it to be definitely more like a, uh, almost like a emotional writer, um, an, an emotional book uh, about your journey through life as opposed to, I don't know, I'm not, I'm very creative, but I haven't found the niche for fiction yet, although I love to read it. Um, but definitely telling my story in a bigger fashion, I think is where I'm headed for that. Oh, that's exciting. Yeah. So, it is frustrating being a writer is never easy. You have no. lots of roadblocks and you know, you can well one of the books I was writing, you know, I literally wrote like ten chapters and then took two years off and then wrote like ten more chapters. Yeah. Yeah, I mean writer's block is a real thing. <laughs> I mean mm -hmm. I think that I do best and I have you know, lots of notes on my phone where I'm just sitting somewhere and something happens and I'm like, oh, I need to write about this. And I just, it's like a journal. Um, and maybe someday I'd be able to turn it into something. Um, that's my hope and my goal, but I'm still in the very beginning stages of, of that process for sure. So something I've found that may or may not help you out because I have a very short attention span I've figured out over the years, especially when it comes to writing and reading as much as I enjoy it. 
I like short stories, you know, novellas, mm-hmm. micro novels, stuff that's, you know, I don't prefer the very long, verbose, drawn out stories overall. So then it's helped me. I like writing short stories a lot more than I like writing novels because it's quicker. You know, you get it yeah. in, you're out, you know, conclusion. It's the, it's the instant gratification, which is a problem with our generation and the next generations. And we just want to <laughs> be, we want to be happy. We want to get to the end. Right. We want to know what's going to happen right now. And the sooner, the better. <laughs> but that may be something that lets you hone in your skills a little bit more. Because I know I, when I get out of writing for a while, when I sit down to start writing again, I'm like, man, this is terrible. Yeah. <laughs> like if I do a short story or two, then that gets me back. Like, okay, now I feel like I'm a competent writer again. Yeah, I definitely think that. Um, I think that I, I love poetry, especially short poems that are very, you know, there's rhythm and you know even writing a haiku sometimes like um coming up with that just based on one thing that happened or i mean i think that that's where i get a lot of my inspiration i've written a lot of a lot of poems um but i really want to uh share it in a story somehow i don't know but yeah i think you are right I think short stories are fantastic and a great way to like jumpstart, jumpstart it for, for yourself. And when you've been out of writing, I mean, getting back into it, I sit and stare at my computer screen probably more than I write anything. I'm like, what am I thinking and how can I put it into words? Cause I think that's the hardest part when it comes to writing is you have a thought, but being able to verbalize it, in a clear way because we think things all the time and then we say them we're like that didn't really sound that good (laughs) Uh, it sounds like you may be like me and you're a panderer you don't really have the whole story in mind of bits and pieces and then you're just trying to tie it as you go and new things pop up yeah let's go this right way now yeah i'm definitely i definitely like that for sure yeah, no, people are like, we just need to plot out the entire thing. And I'm like, but I don't know what's going to happen as the story grows. It's literally like it's happening to you as you write it. So you don't know which direction it's going to go. Well, yeah, you have to live in those characters and really and feel who they are be- to kind of bring them to life in your writing. It's hard not to do that. Um, but yeah, I am a very go, go and ma- make it up as I go or figure it out as I go. Uh, because if I plan it all out, it's probably going to change a lot. <laughs> is it going to change or sound bad? I've written a few short stories. I'm like, I know exactly how I want this to go. And then you're like, well, now it doesn't reflect with how this person made that decision. And it's, it gets yeah, frustrating. for sure. But I'll be excited to see the poetry and the novel when it comes out. Yeah. Um, hopefully in the next couple of years, that's my hope. Hopefully life awesome. will slow down a little bit. But now I say that and I'm going to knock on wood and so that life isn't like ah slow down i'll show you slow down (laughs) well sign me up as a beta reader oh for sure i will and i appreciate you um having me come and talk about just everything under the sun um it has been great catching up too because i know i've seen you and your family on facebook and you know from high school i mean gosh there's just so many things that have changed for both of us and and i just am I'm really glad to be able to have this opportunity with you yeah it's been a wonderful conversation i do have a few questions before we go though if you got a few more minutes yeah i got a few more minutes so first one where if you and your family could go anywhere where would you want to travel to um an island without any cell phones um probably somewhere in the bahamas always been a dream place just to kind of go and disconnect i feel like we could probably do that anywhere but i definitely like tropical warmth and the beach oh that sounds nice especially this time of year (laughs) exactly (laughs) (laughs) so we talked a little about you know what your writing herd be like in the next couple years where you'd hope to be but where do you want to be in five years overall Overall, um, I want to be well into my teaching career. Um, I want to bring something to education um, that kind of speaks to my passion for young people. 
And I also want to be able to share that outside of my little community. So in five years, um, I think that's my, my biggest goal is to be able to contribute something to education that can be shared outside of where I teach. Oh, that's a good goal. Be exciting to see how that one comes to play. Yeah. I'm working on it now and it's the, the few other people and it's, it's definitely got its challenges when you think about how it comes about and curriculum and things like that. But it's definitely something I think that everybody will be able to benefit from. The, the last question here is one that I don't know. It may not make you think as much. It may not be as difficult. Some people find it harder, but you know, pivotal points in life, you know, everybody has different times that are, you know, hard or difficult, but one that I think we can all share is when we're 14, you're, you know, you're on the edge of middle school, getting ready to go into high school, lots of life changes. If you could talk to your 14 year old self, what would you say? Oh, wow. That is hard. Uh, I think, I think I tell my 14 year old self to keep going. Um, and that one day that you'll be able to look back at this difficult, confusing, part of your life and say now I know why it was difficult and confusing um and that you are going to be you're going to have purpose and people love you and you know the best thing that you can do is be yourself and do that as authentically as you can and you know just be true to who you are always. Well, that's wonderful advice for anybody, honestly. So, <laughs> uh, it's, like, it's just an age where you don't know a lot of what you don't know and you don't realize what's in store for you. So those are powerful words that I hope people can, you know, take forward and help them in their journey. Yeah, absolutely. Um, hopefully uh, they will be able to, you know, come back and hear more, um, both from you and from from me. <laughs> <laughs> so any closing thoughts you want to put out there? Anything at all? Um, just that, uh, and this is something that if you remember uh, Coach Fuchs um, from high school, yep. uh, she wrote to me when I was at boot camp. And the thing that has always stuck with me, it was the quote that she said to me, was that, Tough times don't last, but tough people do. And our definition of tough is sometimes, you know, it varies at different points of our life and what that looks like. But the tough time doesn't last forever. But you will. That tough person within you will. Yeah, I love that quote. Me too. <laughs> well, Joe, this has been awesome. Thank you for taking time with me today. And you know, best of luck with all your future endeavors and please keep me in the loop and hopefully have you back on as a guest sometime in the future. Yeah, I'd love that. And I'll definitely keep you in the look and in the, in the loop. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I will definitely add you as a beta reader once I publish for sure. Thanks for the opportunity. And I hope you and your family have a great new year. To you and yours as well. Talk to you later. Thanks. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Constructive Curiosity. Constructive Curiosity is presented by SFC Consulting. For all your career coaching, project management, and leadership development needs, SFC Consulting has the insight to get it right. Visit sfcconsultingservices.com for more information.